When I was in the United States Air Force, I was literally five days out of high school, and I was on a on a plane heading to San Antonio, Texas, in June of 1977, and I was placed in a dormitory with about 60 other men. All of us were quote unquote men. We were all like 18 years old, and it was interesting as you reflect back and look on it. The personality types that are in that space. I mean, we had one guy. He was.、Um, He was tough. I mean, he was going to tell everybody how to do everything, and nobody's going to tell him what to do. And he ended up、um, getting sick, literally getting sick, and getting put into the hospital sick. And he was gone from so many days of training that when he came back to us from being sick, he was being sent back to collect all of his things because he was being moved back to another flight because he was he had missed so many days of training that he needed to go back and start again. And the whole time he was in the dormitory getting his stuff, he's still putting on the bravado. <laughs> you guys are just—it's like you're an idiot. We we can see through this. You're just an idiot. Now, I don't know what his motivation was. Who knows what his issue was? But the guy was just a jerk. He was an idiot. And and we had various people who had identifying monikers.、Um, one guy, he was he was just dumb. But anyway, he <laughs> in the middle of the night one night we weren't allowed to smoke cigarettes. I didn't smoke at all, but it wasn't an issue for me. But we were not allowed to smoke cigarettes for the first seven days of training. Okay, you couldn't even have them in your possession. And in the middle of the night one night, this guy, the dummy, he sat up in the middle of the bed. He didn't wake up. But he sat up in the middle of his bed in the middle of the night and yelled out, "I can't believe they won't let us smoke!" and laid back down sound asleep. <laughs> and it was just this really interesting dynamic of having 60 different individuals all being formed into a unit, and all these different personalities. Some of you have been through that process. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, I hesitate to raise my hand and tell you what my my identity was, but. I was Gomer Pyle. Now it wasn't because I was simple and southern, and、uh, but it was because I was guileless. It was because I believed people. It was because I never told a lie. You see, part of who I am, and I don't know that I can point to any particular. Episode in my life, or any particular teaching or or person that trained me, but I can tell you from the time I remember,、uh, lying is it violates who I am as a human being. Now I just told you the kids, the, 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 and I didn't say to the kids because they were too young to understand it. But it's the ninth commandment. It's the ninth commandment: Thou shalt not、uh, bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie.、Um, And it is it is a, an imperative on how you're supposed to live your life if you want to please God. Well, for me, telling a lie is anathema. I just cannot do it. It is not even something I want to do. It's never it's never been a temptation. I mean, I, I I'm the best cashier in the world. Why? Because I don't see it as money. 
It's just stuff in my possession. And as long as I get the right amount back and give the right amount back, it's okay. I don't ever think about taking any because that would be dishonest. That would be a lie. That would violate who I am. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's tying into what I'm going to talk to us about this morning. And it's this idea of oaths or vows. Remember I said this was a simple teaching. It's pretty much a basic teaching, but it goes to the core of who we are as people, for my, from my perspective at least. If I were to ask you, what is a vow? How do you define that word? And if you need to look it up on Google, feel free. But I mean, but seriously, in your mind, what do you think of when somebody says a vow? A promise. A wedding, a what? A guarantee. A promise, a wedding, a guarantee. Any other vow? Your word. Okay. What is an oath? Swearing on the Bible. It is the same thing as your words. It's hard. These are archaic terms in our culture. A verbal affirmation. Okay. You make people swear at the at the courthouse. You get them that angry, they swear at you. <laughs> right. No, they don't say that anymore. Well, I, I, if you look up the words on, if you look up the words in the dictionary or on the on the. the the, the, the online dictionaries, the one of the definitions, almost all of them say it's a promise, almost all for, for oath or for, for a vow. But the dif- the difference between an oath and a vow, at least from what I read, and I'm, I hope I don't get this mixed up backwards, um, was that a, a, an oath is as a human being to another human being, I am stating this. I am affirming this. I am promising this. A vow is, as a human being to my God, I am promising this. I am affirming this. I am, whatever, dedicating this. Now, in many cases, an uh, an oath, human to human, is with God as a witness. Okay? Now, because of our Western culture, we have many who balk at that idea of calling or invoking the holy into this transaction, human to human, so they refuse to swear or affirm, so help me God. But they still are required to stand in a public place and say, I swear or affirm that I will, blah, blah, blah. So human to human, I will do this. I am affirming to you that I will speak truth as I sit in this courtroom. Um, 
We don't have vows or oaths in our world that much anymore. As a matter of fact, um, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but if you look at Jesus' teaching, he said you shouldn't oath or vow. It should just simply be yes or no. Nothing more. Literally, he says, if you go further than that, it's actually from the evil one. It's simply let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Anything more than that, it's from the evil one. Well, I did a little bit of thinking about it and then looking in the scriptures to find out episodes of oaths or vows in the scriptures. And I came up with three pretty significant ones. The first one is found in the book of Judges. Can anybody name the human being who is infamously infamously known for his vow out of the book of Judges? No. Samson, Samson is one who was under a Nazarite vow, but he was not he did not willingly of his own choice make that vow. That was something that was imposed on him. But there was one person in the book of Judges who made a vow before God publicly. That guy. But who is he? What's his name? He's he's one nobody wants to think about because it's such a horrible thing. It's a horrible story. This guy's name is Jephthah. Jephthah. And Jephthah says, If God will give me victory today... I will sacrifice to God a vow. I will offer to God the very first thing that comes out of my house upon my return. Thinking a chicken or a goat or even a bull. But what is the very first thing that comes out of his house to welcome him home after his victory? His only daughter. Virgin daughter singing and playing the tambourine. Daddy's home. Praise God. Daddy came home victoriously. And what is Jephthah's words to her? You have shredded my heart. Because this very day I swore a vow to God that the very first thing that came that greeted me after I returned home, I would sacrifice to my God. And she looks at her dad and says... Can I have three days to go out and celebrate what's left of my life before you kill me? And so he goes, he says, yes, she goes out with her daughter, her friends. They go into the to the forest and they have a time of mourning. And then she comes back and she lets her father kill her. And that's the story. And it says, and the young virgin still to, still to this day honor Jephthah's daughter, blah, blah, blah. What a horrible, horrible, horrible story. Why in the world is it in the Bible? Well, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Anything more than that is evil. There was another oath, not a vow, but an oath. And it's the story of Saul and his son Jonathan and the Israelites as they're in battle against the Philistines. And there's this, there's this, story that that it's found in first in Samuel where uh, the Israelites are encamped against the Philistines and Jonathan and a few of his friends sneak into the camp 
of the Philistines and they cause this big thing. And God causes this crazy battle, crazy uh, battle to uproar to happen. And Saul jumps up and says, what's going on in the Philistine camp? And he gathers the leaders of the Israelites together and he says, do a census of the camp. Find out who's left. Find out who's left. And they find out that it's Jonathan and a few of his friends. And then Saul says to the priest, bring the Ark of the Covenant over here so that we can pray. Should we go and join in the battle? And then the roar of the camp in the Philippines gets even greater. And it's like the Philistines are fighting against each other. And Saul says, ah, forget it. Never mind. Put that aside. Let's go. And they go off into battle. And they're literally defeating the Philistines. And Saul in his exuberance says, cursed be any human being that eats anything before the evening unless I get victory against the Philistines. And the entire camp of Israel goes, yes. And then they go, Battling, And these people are fighting, physically fighting for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. But we're not allowed to get any eat because it's not evening yet and we still haven't had victory. And it's getting harder to lift this sword. And oh my goodness, I can't raise my shield. But I promised and I'm following the vow, the oath of my king. I'm really hungry and I'm really getting weak here. Well, Jonathan had never heard the the oath that his father made. Jonathan was off in the camp of the Philistines fighting when the oath was made. So Jonathan, in the midst of this battle, comes into the forest and sees this honeycomb dripping on the ground. And goes, well, that looks good. And he dips the end of his staff into the honeycomb, picks it up and eats it. It's like, whoa, that just refreshed me. I just had a monster drink. He literally says, my eyes brightened. And all of a sudden they go, oh, you're cursed. You're dead sad. And he's like, what? No, we're not allowed to eat anything. Well, then, and I don't remember exactly the, the timeline, but the end result is, is that Saul then goes back to the priest again. And he says, should we? No, I know what it is. It was towards the, it was, it was the evening now. That's what it was. It was evening now. And all of a sudden people go, it's evening, we can eat. And they literally start eating the food, eating the animals without even properly draining the blood and sacrificing the way they're supposed to do it. And they're violating the, the law of God. And the end result is, is that the whole camp is sinning against God. And Saul goes, no, 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 no. And so he sets up a rock and he says, have them bring the animals here and properly sacrifice them before they cook them, before they eat them. We can't sin against God. And then, Finally, finally, they're settling down. And Saul says, priest, come on over here. Get the, get the Urim and Thummim, which is kind of like dice that they used to use to discern God's will. And they see, he says, should we continue the battle now that we've eaten and gotten our strength back? Should we continue the battle and utterly defeat the Philistines? And it says in the scriptures, God is silent. God refuses to answer Saul's request one way or the other. And Saul gets all upset and he's like, there's sin in the camp. Whoever has sinned is going to die. Whoever is causing God not to answer us is going to die. And he said, separate us. I'll, Jonathan and I will stand on one side and the rest of you stand on the other side and one of us is going to die. And they throw the Urim and the Thummim and it's Jonathan and Saul that are taken. And John, Saul looks at Jonathan and he goes, What? And so they throw the Urim and Thummim again. And this time, Jonathan is the one identified as the sinner. And Saul says, what did you do? Confess. And he goes, I ate some honey. And now I have to die? Yes, 
You have to die. And he, he literally calls down curses on himself if he doesn't do what he swore he was going to do. And all of a sudden, the leaders of Israel, of the Israelite nation stand up and go, wait a second. Wait a second. No. No. And they stand up against Saul and they rescue Jonathan from being killed. And literally Saul crawls away with his tail between his legs. And the word of God says, and the Philistine, Philistines were not utterly defeated on that day. There was an opportunity there for the nation of Israel to utterly defeat their mortal enemies. But because of a stupid oath, the leader lost the favor of God. And the end result was he even lost his reputation. One more story about a vow or an oath. Come into the book of Acts. The people of God... In, in, in the book of Acts, we're told that the, the early church, they, they literally communed together. And they shared everything together. I mean, that caused issues because if you remember, they came to the apostles and they said, there's, there's, there's inequity. People are getting food and other people aren't getting as much food and it's not fair and they're being, they're being selfish against the, the ones that are outsiders because they're not Jewish people. And, and the apostles said, listen, Choose from amongst yourselves seven who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom and let them be the ones to serve the tables. We're going to devote our ministry to prayer and to ministry of the word. And that's what they did. So then as you read the story, there came this thing in the church where if somebody had any means like a piece of property or a house or a cow or whatever, they if they sold it, then some of them had decided, well, I'm going to take the proceeds of my sale and I'm going to give it completely to the church to be used for distribution amongst the people of the church, to help support the people of the church. And so that's what's going on. It says Barnabas, who ends up becoming pretty famous in the Bible, Barnabas sells a tract of land and he brings the money to the leaders of the church and he presents it, not in a big show for himself, but he just presents it publicly. Here's the money I receive from the sale of the land and use it as God sees fit. Well, there's a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And they sell a piece of property. I don't remember if it was a house or if it was a piece of land. I don't remember now. And they conspire amongst themselves that they're going to hold back part of the proceeds. And so they come to the church with this pile of money and they say, we just sold our property and here's the money we received. There you go. Now, Ananias, Ananias does it. His wife Sapphira is not present when this happens. And Peter, remember I told the kids, mom and dad can always tell when you're lying. Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knows that Ananias is lying. And he said, this isn't all the money that you received from the sale of this property. You've held some back. And Ananias is like, yeah. And he said, well, sorry, but there's a penalty for that. Watch. And he just stands there and instantly Ananias drops dead. Now, I'm not going to make any comment about all of that. It just happened. And then they bundle up Ananias' body. They carry him out. And they just come back from burying her. Uh, or they're in the process of coming back when Sapphira has come in. And Peter comes up and says, uh, Sapphira, I got a question for you. 
Um, earlier today, your husband came in and he gave us the, the money that you guys got from the sale of your property. This is the amount that you guys got from the sale of your, pro- your property? Uh-huh. <laughs> Why are you trying to lie to the Holy Spirit of God? And, in, uh, and Sapphira literally drops dead. And it says in the Bible that the people who just finished burying her husband come in and they find her dead. They wrap her up and they go and bury her next to her husband. And great fear falls on the, on the church. That's a horrible story. All three of them are horrible stories. And I don't have time this morning to go into all the spiritual stuff about all of those different stories. But there is a common theme in it. And it's what I shared with the, with the young people in our, in, our, in our Sunday school class this morning. One person made a vow or an oath rashly, foolishly, without thought. Or with poor motives depending on which story you're talking about. And it negatively impacted the entire community. If you look at Jephthah, it affected his family. It affected all of her friends. And lots more because it says that even to this day, the young women of Jewish culture mourn the loss of that girl. In the history of uh, the, the ancient Jews, the Philistines were mortal enemies all through David's reign. Well, what if Saul had done what he was supposed to do that one day? Would the Philistines have been an issue for the, for the, for the Israelites? We will never know. But for a stupid calling out of an oath and pulling everyone else into that, And then Ananias and Sapphira, I can't understand, number one, how anybody would think they could lie to God and get away with it. But for some reason they thought they could, and the end result was, and this is what's so hard, is they were killed instantly. And, and I, I, the the only, the only, whether it's comforting or comfortable or not, the only thing that I can come from that is God don't play. Whether or not, you know, that's God's nature or not God's nature, God don't play. And that's the thing that, that that's the thing that I, I, I have come away with with all of this. And, and if, <clears throat> there's a couple verses that, that I focused on as I pray, I mean, as I, as I studied this and meditated on it, and I just want to share them with you and then just, and we're, we're pretty much wrapping things up, but there's a few things that you need to hear, verse wise. Proverbs 20, 25. It is a snare to a person to utter a vow rashly and then not until afterward inquire whether or not they can fulfill it. Another way of saying it, the Message Bible, which is not a translation but it's just a paraphrase, says an impulsive vow is a trap. Later you'll wish you could get out of it. Then in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, Solomon wrote... When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. In the Mosaic Law, found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, We read, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. 
But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God that you have promised with your mouth. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And the thing that was intriguing to me was in verse 20, I mean, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it said, doing these things, making a vow, taking an oath, this is a voluntary act. It is not required of you as a person of God. It is not required that you ever vow something to God. It is not required of you to take an oath before another human being with God's um, with God's overseeing it. So help me God type of thing. And I looked at it, and as I said, there's, there's very few things in our world, in our current Western culture, where vows and oaths are part of our world. But two significant ones have already been mentioned in this service. Elsie mentioned weddings, wedding vows. And Keziah mentioned the oath that you take standing in a court of law. Where again, our culture has changed it where it's now... I swear or affirm in my own self. But it used to be culturally that we swore or affirmed, so help me God, by putting our hands on the Bible. And even in our, even in our, 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 our uh, public officials swearing in ceremonies, they are placing their hands on a book that is important to them, whether it's the Bible or the Koran or whatever, whatever book they use as their scriptures. So there's something about this idea of, so help me God, if I break my word. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but think about your own life. Have you vowed or given your word or declared an oath and broken it? I can tell you in my own world, and you guys have heard this story before, but for those of you who don't know it, I'll I'll quickly share it. When Renee and I were young adults, we attended a church in Massachusetts, and we were struggling because at that time in the Church of the Nazarene, the culture of the Church of the Nazarene was thou shalt not go to a movie theater. And we had friends who were board members of the church who were our age contemporarily, and they went to movies, but they only went to G-rated movies. Well, we didn't go to movies because we were good Nazarenes. And they went to movies and they were board members. How, how do I reconcile this? Well, then after we left that place, we moved to the Philippines. And I was in the home of Dr. Donald Owens, who was a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene when he retired. At the time, he was just over all of the Asian world permissions. And I asked him, this is back in 1984. Back when VHS and Beta were brand new technologies. It hadn't even gotten to just VHS. It was still VHS and Beta. And I looked at him. I'm sitting in his living room. A mucky muck in our denomination. And I used those words to him. I said, Dr. Owens, you're a mucky muck in our denomination. Okay. 
I said, the Church of the Nazarene has a stand against movies. We don't go to movies. Yes. How come you can have that box under your TV? And he just thought for a moment. He said, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just know that I can. And so I had to come up with a, uh, for my own life, how will I choose to live? And Renee and I talked about it a lot. And we together decided a vow. We didn't actually publicly stand up and I vow, blah, blah, blah. But we vowed we would not be going to movie theaters, but we would be okay with taking movies into our home being discerning. But we would not go into a movie theater. And we honored that vow for 30 plus years. And then I moved to Two Rivers. And then the then uh, uh, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, was produced. And a person in our community came to the church and handed me a check for $150 and said, Pastor, I want you to take the youth group to see that movie. Yeah, that's great. Sure. So I cashed the check and I'm walking across the parking lot to go into the Regal Cinema there on uh, Airport Way to buy all of the tickets for all of our youth to go see The Passion of the Christ. And I'm within feet of that entrance door. And I hear the Holy Spirit of God say to me, Vows mean nothing to you, Bob? What? Vows mean nothing to you, Bob? Because they do mean something to me. But God, this is, this is church. These kids are going to hear the story of Christ. Vows mean nothing to you, Bob? So I turned to another adult in our, in our church, and I said, God is not allowing me to participate in this. And I explained why. And I said, would you be willing to be the adult and a couple of other adults to go with you and let these kids go see this movie. Sure, I'll be glad to. And so they went. I, to this day, don't cross the threshold of a movie theater. Why? Not because it's sinful, but because I vowed before God that I wouldn't. Now, have I wished that I could remove or revoke that vow? Yes, I think I was young. I think I made a vow. I thought about it a lot. I really did. But I think in reflection after 30, 40 years that maybe I didn't need to vow. But I did. And see, the thing in my research, the thing that really struck me, I, I found a website that said, what is the difference between an oath and a vow in the Jewish culture? And I thought, aha, here's my answer for my sermon. Ha, and I'm reading it. And it says, in the Jewish culture, currently, not, not ancient Jewish culture, but currently, there's a ceremony for, for, for removing vows so that you're no longer held accountable for them. Especially you do it on Yom Kippur. That way, in case you accidentally make a vow sometime in the year and realize you shouldn't have done it, on Yom Kippur, you can negate that vow. It's okay. And God blesses it. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea who the author of that website was. I don't want to be near him when the lightning strikes. Because what God says in his word is, a vow is a very serious thing. An oath is a very serious thing. And what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, 
Don't oath. Don't do an oath and don't do vows. Just let your yes be yes. Just let your no be no. And here's why. This is the last statement I want to leave you with. Matthew 15, 8. Matthew 15, 8. These people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts hold off and they are far away from me. This means nothing. This means everything. And so I encourage you and I challenge you. If you feel it's important to make a vow or an oath, then do so. But understand how the gravity of what you're doing. And then number two, recognize that God looks here. He's not so much concerned about this. He wants to see how you truly respond to him. And that's why I chose what I, what I put up on the screen for this morning. Refuse to be content with just the knowledge of God, but insist on experiencing his presence. And you don't get to experience his presence with evil or sin in there. We saw that in the story of Saul, who was trying to get God's guidance on whether or not they should continue the battle. And God refused to even respond until the sin issue was dealt with. And so I encourage you, I can show you in Proverbs over and over again. Proverbs 15, verse 29. God hears the prayer of the righteous. He detests, spits out the prayer of the wicked. Anyone who allows evil or sin to continue to reside in their heart or rebellion, God rejects those prayers. So I encourage you, be very sincere as you live your life. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And don't go any farther than that. In Jesus' name, let's pray.